The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Good evening. Welcome. Glad you are with us. It is WTMJ Nights. Big show. We're going to have some tons of talk in a little bit. We're going to talk about bad speech etiquette. And a lot more, 855-616-1620 is the Old National Bank. Talk and text line, Old National Bank. Get old. We'd love to have you get involved in the program. I am going to apologize in advance if my voice sounds extra sultry and uh, deep tonight. I am battling uh, a cold. We all have the weather has changed so drastically in the last week. Uh, and then compound that with the fact that I am... Uh, dealing with young children on a regular basis who have absolutely zero concept of keeping their mucus and germs to themselves i am um just battling a uh, battling a little cold but i didn't i didn't want to get matt sick uh so i'll i'll be keeping my distance matt it's been a long time last we spoke you were jettisoning off for an incredible uh sports sojourn you were uh taking a calling games in three states you were uh, you were just all over the place. How did it all go? It was fantastic. Uh, it started off with a trip to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I want to give a shout-out uh, to my best friend, Jaden Becker, the in-arena host for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nice. We, we made a pact during college that when one of us made it in our respective fields to the big leagues, so for him it would be reporting, in-game hosting, that sort of stuff, and for me it would be play-by-play or hosting on the radio or uh, TV, that it's a bags are packed and we go out and see each other. So he got hired by the Penguins in August, and he called me up, and the first thing I said, my bags are packed, I'll be there uh, in October. And so it was nice, we got the whole gang back together, uh, watched him do his thing, the Penguins won 4-0 over the Avalanche, Um, so it was a fantastic time getting to see each other and, uh, doing that, but that's where all the fun starts because, uh, went there, got on a flight from Pittsburgh back to Chicago Saturday afternoon. I anchored sports on Wisconsin's weekend morning news Sunday morning. Wow. Hightailed it down to Bloomington, Illinois for the Illinois State Illinois Wesleyan women's basketball game. It was an exhibition between schools that are separated by... About a mile and a half. Yeah. First time they played in 53 years. As expected, (laughs) the Redbirds won. Um, It was 96 to 54, I believe. And then that game ends at about 3 o'clock in Bloomington, which is two hours away from O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Get in my car. Drive up to O'Hare. Two hours is two hours is generous. That yeah, you were you're hauling if you make that. In two yeah, hours. yeah. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to give away my driving tactics, but I made it in an hour and fifty nine minutes. Wow. Ho- hopefully, there's is no there one. Any paint left on your car? Yeah, there is paint. Off? There is paint left on my car. It was a very okay. uh, get in the car, let's be hyper focused and rock and roll type thing. So I get to O'Hare at about five forty five. I park. Okay. Which at O'Hare is a while because you have to get on a bus to get on a train to get sure. to the terminal to get on your plane. You are counting on everybody else to fulfill exactly your except you. And there's a six sixteen flight I really want to be on. <laughs> so I get to the airport five forty five. I have TSA pre check, so I get there and that's about half hour. 
get to the gate just as the door is closing, made the flight, but there was no room. Okay. So I was able to get on an 8 o'clock oh, flight. You got there like a minute and a half before the flight. Exactly. I was pressing my luck. I get to Newark, New Jersey after leaving on an 8 o'clock flight at about, I'd say, 11 o'clock, so it wasn't bad. Could have been worse. I was supposed to be on a 9.30 flight out to New Jersey, so I was able to gain an hour and a half. All right, but here's the thing. You said you got to Newark, New Jersey at 11 o'clock at night. That's right not there, fine. That that's no, yeah, that's not a good sentence. Nobody wants to say, <laughs> man, not only do they not want to say they got to Newark, New Jersey, uh, 11 o'clock at night, forget it. That's when the zombies all come out in Newark. That and it's when an Uber slash Lyft costs you $92 to go 15 miles. That makes sense. The thing about New Jersey that I've learned is everything is 25 minutes apart. But it's 25 miles. Like here in Milwaukee, you have to drive 25 minutes. You're probably going 8 to 10 miles maybe. Right. There, it's the mile matches the minute. But it was for an awesome cause. It was the Rivals Golf Classic between a bunch of NFL legends. And they were grouped up with sponsors. Uh, and uh, they played a round of golf. And there were plenty of contests, plenty of uh, good content. I had the privilege of hosting multiple things, including the uh, ride-along segment. Where I'd hop in a golf cart with a former NFL player, ride with him from the tee box to the flag, ask him a couple questions, some fun stuff, some serious stuff. And uh, it was awesome. I had some legends like Bernie Kozar, former Packer, the inventor of the Lambo Leap, Terrell T. Buck Buckley, uh, Harry oh. Carson of the Big Blue Wrecking Crew, the New York Giants in the 1980s. Same with Otis Anderson, Stephen Baker, uh, and uh, Pepper Johnson as well. So uh, a lot of good guys out there. You were having a good time, and now you're back here. We got the big show. Uh, we are waiting as we uh, as we always do. Not we don't always wait, but we are going to talk to Brandon Snide in just a, a couple of minutes. Uh, that's the plan, anyway. We will uh, we'll talk a little Packers, and um, we'll get to all that. It has been a uh, it has been a wild week, of course, in the news today. Very exciting. Hold on. <coughs> Pardon me. Oh man. Uh, today, very exciting. The Trump sons testified in court that uh, while they, yes, while they were in charge of the real estate company and they did in fact sign all the paperwork about the financial disclosures, uh, they're not really responsible for that because they, you know, listen, they don't pay attention. You can't expect them to pay attention. That's why you pay accountants. They threw the accountants under the bus, but the judge has already, what they forget is the judge has already decided that they are, uh, they're guilty now. They're just trying to figure out how the, uh, you know, how much, how much to find them. How many things will go wrong? All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Brandon, uh, Brandon might be here, might not. We can, but if he's not, uh, here's my question: eight five five six one six one six twenty Packers fans. Um, in your mind, is the season done now? Uh, oh, oh, Snyder's is here. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll uh, cue the tunes. We'll talk to Brandon. It'll be fun. Okay, bye. It's time for Tundra Talk on WTMJ Nights. Here's your host, Brian Newton, with Brandon Snide. Well, it's Thursday, and whether we like it or not, we talk about the Packers' past game and look ahead 
to the next game. Brandon Snide comes in. You hear him every morning on Wisconsin's Morning News, and he's nice enough to come here on Thursdays and lament with us. So I don't know. I guess I'll start, Brandon. Congratulations, because your prediction of a Packers loss last week was correct. Other than that... I was eventually going to get one right here, Brian. (laughs) Well, uh, man, uh, I'm I'm just going to cut to it. The Packers offense is not getting better. Uh, Every week, there's dropped passes. Every week, we have to say, well, the the receiving core is young, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Penalties were unbelievable, the amount of penalties last week. Uh, Rashid Walker got replaced at left tackle by uh, Mm -hmm. Yosh Nijman. And uh, it's just, it's not looking good. And while it's easy to blame... Jordan Love, it's not all Jordan Love's fault, except for the fact that he seems to be holding the ball a long time, and he even kind of admitted that he was hesitating. So what's a Packer fan to do? Yeah, no, to to go off your last point there, Brian, because you hit the the nail on the head, he is holding on to the ball, but I think what you just said prior to all of that is the reason you're seeing Jordan Love hesitate, right? Rasheed Walker out of there, you know, Yosh Nyman in there. Then Yosh got hurt, so he had to leave. Then Walker was put back in at left tackle. He doesn't trust what he's seeing anymore. Like, what happened in week one and and how confident he was against the Bears, how confident he was against the Atlanta Falcons. Remember, Brian, after the first two weeks of the season, Jordan Love, this same quarterback in Green Bay, number 10, led the NFL in touchdown passes. He had seven touchdowns to just one interception. He was leading – the NFL in that touchdown category, he was trusting his eyes. He was trusting his playmakers. That has all fallen to the wayside. You see guys are, are not getting the checkdowns at the line of scrimmage. You got Jordan Love dropping back for a pass on Sunday, and no receivers go out for a pass. Yeah. Um, you're seeing the offensive line just unable to sustain not only in the passing game, Brian, but they cannot get anything going in the running game. And you and I have talked about it at nauseum, if you are unable to establish a run game in any offense, in any facet of, of, of the NFL, but especially with the Matt LaFleur offense, like everything else just isn't going to work. And he, he's just a guy where, look, I'm not going to make excuse for, you know, excuse after excuse for him. I'm a Jordan Love fan. I think the potential is still there for him to be an above average quarterback. But right now he's a guy where, he doesn't trust the play calling. He knows that there's no running game. Nobody's healthy. Um, the receivers aren't sure what they're doing. Nobody stepped up on that offensive side of the ball to be like, who's going to go make a play? And he talked about it after after the game on Sunday. It was more of the – I would say we've only seen, we heard him talk a handful of times, but right. it was the most frustrated I've heard Jordan Love since he's taken over. Like, And he said it, like, we got to look in the mirror and somebody's got to make a play. Somebody's got to step up and make a play. Like, he cannot do it on his own. And I know the easiest thing in the world to do is to blame the quarterback. But you see all these guys on Twitter, um, Kurt Bankert, uh, Kurt Warner, uh, going to his Jordan Love's defense because they're, they're watching the tape and they're like, look, I mean, if you don't want to take my word for it, these, you know, that one of them is a Hall of Famer. He's like, no quarterback, right. and I'm paraphrasing Kurt Warner, no quarterback in the NFL would succeed with this. Nothing's working. So, no, you and know. when your receivers are dropping six passes on the day uh, and big passes, uh, p- passes that could have yeah. turned, could have turned things into something good, you know, it, enough with the they're the youngest. Well, you sign these guys 
everybody knew they were the youngest. Yeah. I think most Packers fans expected things to be a little rocky this year, but this is this is getting sure. crazy. Well, and Brian Gudenkins talked about that um, yesterday. Um, I, I believe it was yesterday. It was either yesterday or today. Uh, where basically where he said we yeah, basically what he said we we expected more out of our our young receivers. You know, just we expected them to be better, and two of them. Our second year guys, although both of them missed, you know, time. You and I have talked about that before. They missed time last year, so you know they're they're not seasoned vets. Um, but this was expected. The only issue with it being expected was you wanted to see a progression, right? You wanted to see something where, like, you and I could be here, Brian, on a Thursday night looking back, like, yeah, but you remember that through, you know, week four, five, and six where they. You know, they went for 200 yards and a few touchdowns, and they just looked apart, you know, and, and had a roller coaster type season. All we've had is since week one and two is a drop of the roller coaster. Yeah. We haven't seen anything to, like, you know, perk our eyes up a little bit and be like, okay, well, that was pretty nice because nothing seems to be working. And really, it, it's such, it's just so unfair, Brian, to, to, to Jordan Love. Like, I feel awful for the kid. Because he's been waiting. You know, he wasn't drafted. He didn't ask for this. He didn't ask to come here and sit behind Aaron Rodgers. And everybody's always like, well, he sat behind Aaron Rodgers for three years. He's been in the system for four, going on four years. None of that matters. you got to play the game. you got to get the His receivers haven't. There's, you know, (laughs) nothing that would support him has sat there and waited, too. Uh, What's the deal with Aaron Jones? He, again, only, what did he play, 23? No, 23 snaps was against Denver. About the same yeah. um, the other night. Is he still hurt from the hamstring? Is it? Are they just so, not confident? I, his running back Ben Sermon, the running back coach, talked this week and said, you know, he thinks, you know, he's, uh, you know, back to being where he should be um, as far as like health wise and speed wise. The I when I was at the game on Sunday, I was behind the bench. Uh, he has that hamstring. Uh, taped up, so it, it's there. Okay. He's icing it in between, um, you know, when the defense is out on the field. He just doesn't, you know, and, and I think it could be a little bit of what Jordan Love has as well, is where, like, he's just not trusting his blocks up front. You know, he's not getting a good read. If there is a hole, 95% of the time, there just hasn't been anything created on a consistent basis to where he can build off of that. And and part of it, too, Brian, is like like you said, he's just not getting the carries. I mean, I believe it was the, uh, the Denver game. He only had 11 touches total. Actually, that might have been against the Vikings. I'm not exactly sure. That was sure. against the Vikings. But, I mean, yeah, he's he had not, 23 against Denver. Yes. Yeah, so he's just not touch Like, he's not getting into a rhythm on offense. And, and there's plays where the Packers ended up scoring a touchdown, but they're down there on the goal line inside the five-yard line, and they take him out and they put A.J. Dillon in. And I can understand the theory behind it, right, a bigger back, Sure. Um, but everybody knows when AJ Dillon's coming on the field, Brian. What the plan is, like you know what I mean? Like we kind of understand. <laughs> yeah, you can you no can't really defend. It. Yeah, we know you're going to run up the gut. It's going to be an RPO or you know what have you. But when Aaron Jones is out there, he just adds such a dynamic to where like defenses can't play. They got to play off balance because they don't know. You know, he, he they have to respect him in the passing game as well as the running game. Um, but they haven't been able to identify like a consistent game plan and. That falls on Matt LaFleur. You know, a lot of this falls on Matt LaFleur. Right. We knew going into the season, you and I knew this, every Packer fan knew this wasn't going to be a Super Bowl year. We knew we were going to have some ups and some downs, and the downs weren't going to be real good. But we're, we're going over a, a month. We're going on five weeks without a win. 
you know, something's eventually got to give. Like, they got to snap out of it. Guys got to play better. You said six drops. That's what Matt LaFleur said. I think that was a generous number. I mean, I felt like every drive had two or three big ones, you know, and, and the game probably would have been a little bit different had Dontavian Wicks held on to that one at the goal line. He probably scores if he doesn't drop that uh, with his momentum carrying him into the end zone. And then you're looking at a, a one-score game with six, seven minutes left, and it probably would have changed how that game was played. So, yeah, Jordan Love's not playing great. I don't think that's any secret, but fire fire around him. Nobody else is either. What about the what about the inability? And this is uh, really infuriating: the inability of the Packers to score until they're way down in the second half. Yeah, that is something can, I. I don't. Somebody get had it. asked me that too. I I have no idea. I like. I wish. You know, all my family and all my friends ask me the same questions. Like, well, you're at the games, you know, you're watching them. I, I it's inex, inexplainable. I, I don't know. Like, I, I not figure out a reason. Talk about people talk about scripted plays. Matt Lafleur, you hear Matt Lafleur talk it, talk about it. Scripted plays means that the team has implemented 15 to 20 plays throughout the course of the week. They walk through it on the day before the game. This is what we're going to run. You know, if we see, or you know, this defense, we're going to call to this. If we see this, we're going to go to this. Like they have all of this already done. Everybody on the, on the team knows what they're supposed to do. Nothing's changing unless there's obviously an injury. And it looks like they've never pl- practiced these plays ever yeah. until the third yeah. quarter. <laughs> so it's, it's, I don't so know. And I think like knows? you would think like if you're Matt LaFleur, like you're going into a game where you're playing, Teams that aren't very good, right? In the last few weeks, that teams haven't. Desmond Ritter, I know that was week two. He lost his starting job. He lost to the Raiders. They fired their coach and their GM. You know, the Broncos were a, a mess until they beat the Packers. Now they won like a few. They just beat the Chiefs. So that loss, I guess, doesn't look terrible. But like you would think going in against these weaker, you know, de- you know, teams with defenses that you would have a, a good start to your offense, but. Nope. I wish I had an answer for you. I really don't. Yeah, just not have it. <laughs> All right, well, let's look ahead. Yeah. The uh, Rams come in on Sunday. We don't know uh, Don't know for sure if Matthew Stafford is going to play. His status still in question. Um, the Packers have had pretty good luck against the Rams at Lambeau. But, mm-hmm. you know, the the Rams seem to be, you know, they they want to prove that they've, you know, uh, that they're better than they're being perceived lately. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen Sunday? Are we going to? Is there going to be a bright spot for fans, or is it going to be more of the same? I think this week is going to be a win, Brian. And I know, wow, all right, I predicted wins like all year, but I think it's going to be a win. I don't think Matt Stafford's going to play. They already elevated uh, another quarterback this week. He has a sprained UCL in his thumb, so even if he does play, it's going to be cold outside. I don't know if he's going to be a hundred percent effective. Uh, on offense, they have some receiving threats. Obviously, you traded Rasul Douglas for the Packers, so you lose your best cornerback this year so far uh, throughout the course of the year. So that's obviously a big question mark. But at, at some point, I just can't imagine that this team is going to lose five straight games. I think at some point they're going to – something's going to click, whether whether it clicks all game or it clicks for just <laughs> – Three quarters, but they're going to eventually they're going to get something going. They Matt Lafleur talked about it this week. He he mixed up some things uh, throughout the course of their week. They've been adding competition to practice, kind of like what training camp is. They added it to practice this week. He said it's bring you know bringing out a little bit of fire throughout the guys. So they mix up yeah. the team meetings. They're 
they're doing something, you know, and you got to give that, you got to give him credit for that. Right, you know, well, we can be hard listen, on I love, Matt LaFleur. I but, love the optimism that we got to give him something. Uh, I appreciate We got to give him at least something. All right, we'll give him, we'll give him that. <laughs> and you give us your time every week, which is much appreciated. Uh, Brandon, people can hear you on Wisconsin's Morning News, You Talk Packers, and all the sports. We will talk to you again next week. Again, you have you have said this is the week the Packers are going to beat the Rams. All right, fingers that's, crossed. That's right, Brian. Thanks, guys. Have a great Thanks, night. Thanks, Brandon. Talk to you later. All right, we are running late, but we're going right to the WTMJ 24-hour breaking news center. Just Well, welcome back. It is WTMJ Nights. We are here until 8 o'clock. Then it's Bucks uh, Brewers Weekly with Dominic Catronio. That'll be uh, that'll be coming your way after the eight o'clock news. All right, I'm a guy who makes my uh, makes my living, makes my bones speaking. I speak here, I speak at school, I speak on stage. All of us speak to people every day. Sometimes we hear things that really grate on our nerves. People will use certain phrases, and it just for whatever reason it gets under your skin. But could you be the person who is doing the offending? Are you using poor speech etiquette? Is there is there something that you are guilty of? 855-616-1620 is the old National Bank talk and text line. Is there a phrase that just makes your skin crawl, whether it's, um, something in the bit when, when people in business tell you they want to keep things in the silo, uh, that any kind of business talk makes me nuts. It's like, let's, because I think, um, consultants and business people sometimes want to create things that make simple tasks sound much more important because then they can, you know, uh, we're going to whatever. Silo, silo is the worst. There's there's a ton of them, and it depends on it depends on what industry you work in. But a speech, a public speaking trainer, was interviewed, and they said there are seven rude phrases that people with poor speech etiquette always use, and then they give us some alternatives for what to say. Now, I don't think I. I was looking through, and I tried to think if I use them. One of them offends me to my core. And when we get to that, I will share that with you. It's something that it just it bothers me. But here's, here's the first one. And again, if, if there's a phrase that maybe they use at work, um, maybe you've had to sit through some sort of conference, and you were going to synergize with someone, and... Uh, you just went, oh, can't we just say we're going to talk? No, we're going to interface, and then we're going to be synergistic. Stop. <coughs> and again, pardon my, uh, pardon my cough. I have a, I'm uh, battling a cold. But here's the first phrase: Do you want to? Now, they're not talking about using "Do you want to?" If if you say, "Hey, do you want to have pizza for dinner?" No, 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 not that way. But when you're trying to give someone. When you're trying to give someone an order, like, hey, Matt, you want to take out the trash? That's DFAable. That, well, yes, you don't, want to, you don't want to listen to that. That is fake politeness. But it is also belittling. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't think Matt knows to take out the garbage by himself. Because, you know, I'm better. This is the persona, not me, not me in real life. I'm sure Matt would take out the garbage. Don't be so I'm sure. Alright, well, well, listen. 
Matt, do you want to start taking out the garbage when you're supposed to? Hmm? Huh? Hmm? Um, so what you should say instead, so you don't come across as belittling. Uh, unless you want to come across as belittling, and let's be honest, sometimes it's fun to belittle people. I know it's not polite. I know it's frowned upon in certain circles, but sometimes it's fun. So state your request directly is what this um, trainer says. It's courteous to broach a request by asking, will you do me a favor? Then people generally will pitch in, but uh, they don't want to feel manipulated. So, hey, Matt, would you do me a favor and take out the garbage? Doesn't that sound nicer? Sounds more polite. It does sound more polite. I don't know if the result's going to be any different, because I've heard uh, that you don't like to take out the garbage. I heard that just for But I love doing favors. See, that's what's nice. I like that, too. I like that, too. I like that. I like that. See, I like doing favors for people who seem to appreciate the favor. You ever done a favor for somebody and um, they? it's like they're not really grateful. And I don't need you to be fawning over me because I did you a favor, but a sincere thank you. And then I also, in the back of my mind, kind of like the Godfather, at some point I will come to you with a favor and I would hope that you would repay that favor. I don't know when that time might be, but I will come to you, and I want you to do me a favor, too. All right, here's one. I may have used this. I can't remember, but it sounds like something I might have said, just throwing uh, throwing things around. Here's the thing. and I, I probably have used that. You've heard me say that, haven't you, Matt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. I've got to get rid of it, because I don't want to have poor... Uh, Poor speech etiquette. What's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you. Thank you for asking. The phrase insists that whatever follows will be the final authoritative take on a subject at hand. Which, yes. <laughs> when I, y yes. Here's the thing. Oh, come I on. I always talk with an authoritative tone. Uh, even when used in inadvertently, it can sound a bit self-important. Again, a duh. Yes. What if it's an opinion? Well, it doesn't come across that way. That's the problem. It's how it is perceived by the listener or the person who you're telling. Here's the thing. Uh, truly authoritative people don't tend to waste time on throat-clearing statements. I don't know exactly what that means. I like to preface things. Uh, so they say what to say instead. If you're offering an opinion, consider prefacing your remarks with, I think. These two words remove any suggestion that you're pompously issuing a declaration. That is our stock in trade. That's what we're supposed to do, issue a declaration. Maybe not pompously. But, yeah, I, I think if you're – it depends on the situation. Like here, we're supposed to give our opinions. We're not uh, – I'm not – when I say something, it's what I truly think. I'm not going to waffle. I'm not going, well, maybe I would if I did. But no, no, no. We're going to say what we think. It runs all through everybody on the air. They say what they think. Maybe if you're talking to, I don't know, a friend or a family member or a coworker, maybe you maybe you want to tone it down a little, but not too much. Jeff in Fox Point says, uh, I dislike hit the ground running because I don't think it's physically possible, and it usually means the speaker has unrealistic expectations. And then from the 414, game changer. Oh, everything's a game changer. 
Everything. Pizza cut into triangles, game changer. Those are phrases that are just overly used. Well, it also means nothing. You know, a game can only... I think... There we go. How'd you like that, Matt? (laughs) I I double-clutched on the here's the thing. I believe that a game can only be changed so many times. Everything is not a game changer. You know? Um, Putting chicken and barbecue sauce on a pizza is not a game changer. It's a different recipe. Because it's still pizza. So you haven't really changed the game. You know, uh, so I I would agree with the 414. I am not a game changer uh, fan either. All right, here's number three, right? My brother, one of my brothers, says this all the time. And it bothers me to no end. Um, Every every sentence, right? Right? Like he's, like I'm adult and he's trying to explain something to me. So uh, according to this trainer... It's become normalized in recent years for this pushy rhetorical nudge to follow questions, especially in interviews with athletes and politicians. I'm sure you hear this a lot, Matt, when you talk to uh, athletes. Um, this is the most important uh, stretch of the season, right? That's They're not asking you the question. They're telling you. So it's dumb to say it. It's a useless bit of filler, but it's also manipulative because it's insisting that you agree with them. Right? See what I did there? Put it in there. It's impressive. Pardon me. What's that? I was about to say that's impressive. Yeah. Well, listen. They said now, according to this, if you want somebody's opinion, ask for it in a neutral way. A neutral way, rather than demanding confirmation. Stop it. I don't. No. Is this the most important part of your season? Well. But he's, but he, no, that'd be the athlete responding to you. Like, um, you know, ask me, an I'll answer like an athlete. Ask me an athlete question. Something you would do a post-game. You threw for over 300 yards today. It's your best performance since 1992. What are your initial takeaways? Well, the time comes for everybody to have a great game, right? So my blocking was there. I felt good. I'd been working on uh, the routes with my receivers, right? And so it all came together, right? Ah. See what I'm saying? So he's forcing you to agree with what he says. He being my imaginary athlete character. Who threw for a lot of yards, obviously, today. Big game, right? Game changer. Well, <laughs> was it a game changer? It was still football. Still, you know, ten yards in a cloud of dust. That's uh, still the same. Still the same one. All right. When we come back, we'll finish this up. I'll give you the one that drives me absolutely crazy. If you have a phrase that makes you nuts, you can jump in eight five five six one six one six twenty. The old National Bank Talk and Text Line. More after this. WTMJ Nights. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Ryan Noonan, WTMJ Nights, 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talk and text line, old National Bank, get old. We're talking about poor speech etiquette uh, based on the findings of a public speaking trainer, phrases that just are rude when you use them, even though you may not think you're being rude, you actually are. And I've asked you to contact me with phrases that drive you crazy from the 920 at the end of the day. They hate it. Yeah, that's not on this list, but I I agree with you. The one that is on this list came to me from the 262. This one, if you say it to me, 
It's as if you're flipping me the middle finger. It's, to me, it's a cowardly way to get out of any sort of debate. The statement is, and I know I don't say this one, it is what it is. That, to me, is like nails on a chalkboard. I hate it. It's It shuts down any sort of discussion. According to this trainer, um, it's usually shorthand for stop complaining. If someone is asking for sympathy or assistance, you may or may not wish to or have time to help them, but at least be kind about ending the conversation. Um, so they say instead, you should try offering a bit of courtesy and empathy. Um, you don't need to be phony or overly demonstrative, but something as simple as, that's tough, I'm sorry you're going through this, can make a difference. I used to work with a guy who any time uh, some sort of debate came up, you know, we were on the same show, and, and there would be a disagreement about something, and any time things got to, it is what it is. And that's exactly how he'd say it, like so pompous and dismissive. It is what it is. To me, it's the equivalent of somebody saying whatever. When you're talking, you're arguing with them, they just, whatever. Like a teenage girl who rolls her eyes. It goes. Uh, Jeff says, in my opinion, the person who invented the phrase, it is what it is, should have to do community service. Frame sounds like something David Caruso would say before the CSI Miami thing theme kicks in. Yeah. No go for that one. Uh, other ones on the list, obviously. If and if you want my honest opinion, so there you go. Don't be don't be rude. Practice good speech etiquette. Because here's the thing. <laughs> oh, I brought it back again, Matt. That's called a callback in the business. Uh, all right. Before we go, because it's getting I uh, the show the show is flying by, Matt. I don't know what to what to tell you. Things are going much too quickly for my uh, my taste. But are you a cheese guy, Matt? I know, and I don't mean like a cheese head. I mean a, a fan of cheese. Do you enjoy eating cheese? I appreciate a good cheese. Do you have a Do you have a certain type that you like more than others? Well, it depends on what I'm eating it on. If it's a burger, I like the cheddar American. If it's an Italian okay. dish, I got to go with the mozzarella, the Parmigiano. You know. All right. Yeah, I like I like a hard cheese. I like uh, I tend to like uh, white cheeses more than yellow. Uh, except for, except for like in a cheese curd, I like the cheddar. Um, certain things I like, uh, you know, beer cheese is good. But the reason I ask is, one of my favorite cheeses, and this is a polarizing cheese. This is the, this is the cheese equivalent of the candy corn debate at Halloween. I love blue cheese. I have loved blue cheese since I was a young child. Where do you fall on the blue cheese uh, scale, Matt? I fall blue on it. It's not my favorite. Okay. A lot of people, listen, a lot of people, including the other two people in my family, despise blue cheese. I cannot get enough. And it, I was very excited to read that a Norwegian blue cheese bested contenders from around the world to become the world's new number one cheese. Oh, man, that is great. Uh, I can't really, uh, I don't speak Norwegian. So I would be butchering the name of the cheese and the name of the cheese maker. But um, they vied for against cheeses from all over the world in Norway. And uh, this competition put on by the Guild of Fine Food, the World Cheese Awards, in its 35th year, there were uh, 4,500 cheeses in this competition. Ah. 
Pardon me, 4,500 cheeses. A Norwegian blue is the best. I, man, I used to take, this is uh, how bad it was. When I was in first grade, I used to take blue cheese and crackers to school in my lunch until my teacher called my mother and told her to stop sending, stop sending blue cheese in his lunch because it stinks up the entire room. So I was unable to continue enjoying my blue cheese. But now I, well, I don't know if I'm vindicated, but a cheesemaker in Norway is vindicated. Uh, but really, that's uh, that's all. We're done. We we have no more time. Am I correct, Matt? We're, we're out of time. Things are done. Unfortunately, an hour flies by. Hour does fly by. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of the program. We'll be back. Let's see. There's a Bucks game tomorrow. So I'll talk to you again Tuesday night at 7 right here on WTMJ.